Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's stand as we dive in. When we get to the prayer, let's all Pray it, read it together. Jesus says, pray then like this, all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Where do you like to sit in an airplane. What's your favorite seat? Uh, do you like the window? Do you like the aisle? And do you, some of you maybe, do you like the middle seat? Well, the other day I was flying and there was a person who said, I prefer the middle seat. And I was like, you have to be psychotic. <laughs> and then I begin to share Jesus with them. Where you choose to sit on a plane tells a lot about you. There's research that has been done at the University of Washington. Dr. Jonathan Bricker, uh, who is a psychologist, uh, wrote a report. And here's what he said about where you sit on an airplane and how your psychoanalysis. If you choose the window seat, you value privacy. You're a nester where you can rest your pillow against the wall. You're a dreamer looking out the window and you're open to new experiences. So they're all you window folks. He says, if you're cool with the middle seat, you're an extrovert. I'm totally fine with social contact. You're considerate or you're the low person in your family or friends because you have the least amount of power in the group. Or you are disorganized and you waited till the last minute and didn't plan ahead. He says, if you choose the aisle seat, you value freedom. To get up and walk around wherever, whenever, and however. You tend to be claustrophobic. You're all business, not dreaming, just working. And you like to be in the power position. Now, my absolute preference is the aisle seat. I love the autonomy, the freedom, the control that it gives me. I love it. And if we're honest, all of us in this room like to be in control. As a matter of fact, fear is trying to control what you can't control, and what makes you often afraid is that you're out of control. 
Well, tonight I'm going to talk to you about a God who is totally in control, even when you feel like your life is out of control. We're looking here in the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is a powerful prayer, rich with biblical truth and great theology. I mean, last week we talked about the theology and the understanding of the kingdom of God, and tonight we're going to talk about the will of God. It's a model prayer given to us by Jesus, who is the second member of the Trinity, and he, the second member of the Trinity, God Almighty, is teaching us on how we should approach him. Now listen, it's hard for us to understand the power of this prayer unless we understand the phrases of this prayer. And and this phrase that we're looking at this evening is assuming a lot of biblical knowledge. And so the phrase, your will be done, is probably one of the hardest phrases in the prayer. But here's what I want you to get tonight. When you know God's will is best for you, you will always pray your will be done. It's that simple. When you know that God's will is what's best for you, when you know it, you will always pray your will be done. Let's ask three questions. Number one, what is God's will? Here Jesus says, your will be done. So the the question that many of you might have is this, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my family? What is your will for the world around Me. This is a question that's on most people's mind. Just a few months ago, it was one of the biggest questions on my mind and my family's mind as we were praying about coming and being the pastor here. A lot of people want to know exactly what God's will is for their life. Many times as a pastor, I get people coming to me and say, Pastor, how can I discern and know what God's perfect plan is for my life? Uh, Many of you are maybe afraid of making wrong decisions and going outside of God's will. Well, let me just give you a simple definition of what God's will is. God's will is what God wants, when God wants it, and how God wants it. What he wants, when he wants it, and how he wants it. Now, what is it that Jesus means by this phrase, your will, and and what does the Bible teach about it? There are so many things that we could talk about tonight. We could spend an entire sermon series to talk about the will of God and still not even really scratch the surface. And so I'm not going to be able to itch or scratch every itch in the room tonight, but I want us to think biblically about the will of God through two lenses. Here are the two lenses I want you to look at when it comes to thinking about the will of God. Number one, when you think of the will of God, and the Bible teaches that there's one, God's decreed will. God's decreed will. This is what shall be. Uh, God's decreed will is also known as God's secret will, uh, his hidden will, his sovereign will. God's secret will uh, is God's plan for everything that happens in the universe. It's secret because it's not revealed to us. It's not revealed to us in the Bible. But yet God's decreed will is what will always happen. And, there is, and so you know, what, there are some things that we know is God's decreed will. But what God's the secret will is, is what we don't necessarily know. So you don't know the time of your death. You don't know the day of your death. And none of you want to know the day of your death. And I don't care if you go to dayofmydeath.com. It's not accurate. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand about God's decreed will. Nothing catches God by surprise. God's decree will always happens. And so therefore, listen, Christian, there's no such thing as chance. And there's also no such thing as luck. It's one of the few words that I don't like to say. Every now and again, I'll find myself and say, man, that was a, that was a lucky shot. Or, man, that was a, a lucky thing. Or, or that was like, but there's no such thing 
as luck. God either causes it or God allows anything and everything to happen. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. For God says, for I am God. And there's none other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done saying. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And then Paul echoes this in Ephesians 1 verse 11. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You say, well, what about other stuff? What about Satan? What about human Free will. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But let me just put it to you this way. Do you all know that traffic is bad in Naples? So let's just imagine after church tonight or sometime this week, I decide to go to Walmart. Now, I don't know why I would ever want to go to Walmart, but let's just say I did. So the closest Walmart that I can think of right now in my unsophisticated Neapolitan mind is there one on Immokalee right by I-75. And so I'm gonna leave here out of church and I'm gonna go up Livingston. I'm gonna go north. And, and as I'm going north, there is a major wreck just north of Vanderbilt on Livingston. And so traffic is backed up and so I'm already thinking ahead because I am now a Neapolitan. And I know that if I want to get to Mockley Road, I've got multiple routes, but the one route that I know is I can turn right on Vanderbilt. I can take Vanderbilt all the way down until I get to a road called Logan. Anybody know about Logan? Huh? Or I could do Oaks. So let's just say I decide I'm headed towards Logan but I notice there's another traffic jam down towards Logan. And so instead of taking Logan, I go to Oaks. And then I turn up to Oaks and finally get to Immokalee and I turn towards Walmart. And yes, there is a mass sea of humanity, but I finally get into Walmart, park my car and go inside. And so here's what you have to understand. The accident, the accidents and the traffic may have interfered with my desired route, but it did not change my destination because I know alternatives. I'm gonna go where I'm planning on going. Well, here's what you have to understand. God does what God always wants to do. And even if humans or Satan try to block God's plans, God has already another route planned. Amen? And so what you have to understand is that God is always way ahead. And God is never caught off guard. God is never surprised. As one guy said, has it ever dawned on you that nothing ever dawns on God? And here's the good news of that. The good news is that no one can stop God's 
will. God has more than one road. God knows every possible scenario. Now, for those of you that are concerned, here's what I want you to get. God's sovereignty does not reduce our responsibility. We are moral creatures. God created us that way with the ability to choose, to believe, to disobey, and to respond with moral significance and consequences to our actions. Yet, there is a God who is sovereign. There is a God whose will is greater than my will. Yet, he has chosen that his will never restricts my will, but my will can never restrict his will. And so, as we're thinking of God's will, your will be done first, there's God's decreed will. It's what will be. Secondly, God's desired will, what should be. This is his moral will, his revealed will, commanded will, declared will. If God's will of decree is how things are or how things will be, then his desired will is how things ought to be. God's desired will is the way that God wants us to live. It's how he's commanded us. And so it's the will of command, 10 commandments. Uh, The great commandment or the great commandments, great commission. Let me give you some examples. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, all right? God has a desired will. This is the will of God. And then Paul talks about this, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let me just take a quick time out. If you ever wondered whether or not God wants you to look at pornography or not, there's your verse. Like, I didn't know that was wrong. There's your verse. You wanna know exactly what God's will is for your life? For you to not get involved in sexual immorality. It's God's will. God's got a plan. It's not because God is some prude. It's not because God is just somebody that's trying to make your life miserable and to repress your feelings. No, he knows what's best for you. This is God's desired will. So he doesn't want you sleeping with somebody you're not married to. He doesn't want you shacking up with somebody you're not married to. You say, I don't know. Is this God's will? Should I or should I not? Here it is, plain and plain right there in English. This is God's will for you that you abstain from sexual immorality. There it is, free extra sermon. You got it right there. (laughs) First John chapter two, verse 17. The world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here you have God's desired will. It's his desired will. So here's what you get with that. Some obey and some disobey the desired will of God. See, the will of decree happens regardless, okay? It's done without fail. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever change the decreed will of God. The decreed will of God is always obeyed. But the desired will of God is sadly often disobeyed. And so the will of desire is shorthand for obedience to God's command, walking in God's way. The Bible is what reveals to us God's desired will for his moral creatures. And so the Bible is the all-sufficient guide to know God's desired will. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the Bible tells you more than that, too. So here you have, if you have 
God's decreed will and God's desired will. And you can even see this biblically in one verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Decreed will. Not always known. But the things that are revealed, his will of desire, belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the works of the law. So God has secret things known only to him, and God has revealed things that are meant to be known. And so if you want to experience the blessing of God's decreed will, then it would be appropriate for you to follow the path of God's desired will. So when we talk about the will of God, and there's so many different nuances that we can say, but time fails us to go through all of them, what often we mean when it comes to the will of God is, is really this, the will of direction. As I preach, I don't care what all you just said, here's what I want to know. Should I marry that woman or not? Should I go to that school or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I buy this house or not? So what you want to know is, I want to know God's specific, perfect plan for my life. Does God have a specific plan for my life that he wants me to find out ahead of time? You want the answer to that? No. The will of God is not an Easter egg hunt that you have to find in order to make sure you don't ruin your life. Yes, God has a specific plan for your life. But you rarely ever see it looking forward. But often only see it looking backwards. Adrian Rogers says, the will of God is not seen looking to the horizon. The will of God is often seen looking behind your shoulder saying, there's where God was moving. See, have you ever had those moments in your life where you made a decision or something happened that you kind of didn't understand that happened and then you give it a little bit of time and you say, oh, I see what God was doing there. I see why this happened. I see why we moved here. I see why I didn't marry her. What God was doing is God was working behind the scenes to get you in the right scene, even though you didn't see it. What is the will of God? Declared will. His, his, pardon me, his decreed will. This is what will be. His desired will. This is what should be. And so the question now is this, what does it mean to pray, God, your will be done? What does it mean to pray that? Well, we get more context here. Your will be done. What's the rest of it say? Say it with me. On earth as it is in, in heaven. So this prayer, your will be done, is not just praying that God's decreed will be done. Why? Because we know it's already going to be done. Okay. When you, and yes, when you pray your will be done, we are acknowledging the truth. God's will will be done. His decreed will. But what Jesus here is talking about is not that God's decreed will would be done, but that God's desired will would be trusted and God's desired will would be obeyed. See, Jesus here is affirming that God's desired will is done in heaven, but it's not always done on earth. Did you catch that? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done. It's done immediately. There is no discussion. There is no debate. The only one who ever debated God's will in heaven no longer lives there. It's done immediately. It's done perfectly. It's not done halfway. It's done totally, exactly how God wants it done. And it's done joyfully. Everyone in heaven is happy to obey. 
There's no mumbling. There's no grumbling. Everyone says, my pleasure. (laughs) Seems like it came from heaven with the milkshakes. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come in its fullness, remember what we said last week, God, let your kingdom come. When we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, when God's kingdom comes, then the will of God will be immediately, perfectly, and joyfully done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're longing for. So we're saying, God, let your kingdom come so that your will will be done. But until then, we are asking God's desired will be done in our lives, in our everyday situation, and in others around us. And so when we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking God two things. Number one, God help me to acknowledge your will is best. Let me to acknowledge your will is best, to trust you. See, to pray your will be done, you are acknowledging that God's desires, his his will of desire, is what's best for your life and the world around you. When you say, Lord, let your will be done, you're acknowledging that his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are better than your thoughts. When we acknowledge that his way is best, then we are saying, God, there there is more joy and there is more delight in doing what you say than what I say. And there's more joy in doing what you say than what the culture says. One of my favorite Proverbs, you probably know it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, anyone else ever heard that one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. He will make your path straight or straighten your paths. Acknowledge him. Your way's better. See, when, when we disobey God, it's because we believe that we can get more joy out of our disobedience than our obedience. See, if we think that our way is better than God's way, we'll never pray your will be done and truly mean it. Now, we might mutter the words, but when you really are honest, we we struggle with trusting that God's way is better than our way. And the reason why is because we don't necessarily trust that our heavenly father knows what's best. You know, sadly, we think that we know more than God. And when we think that we know more than God, our father, we're mistaken. You know, there's a difference between a 30-year-old dad and a three-year-old child, right? The 30-year-old dad has better perspective and knows far more than a three-year-old child. I mean, even, I know some of you think, well, I know some 30-year-olds that are dumb as a fence post. But still, compared to a three-year-old, they've got more perspective. Well, if the, if the chasm between a 30-year-old and a 3-year-old is that much, then the perspective that God has is infinitely greater than the perspective a 30-year-old dad has over a 3-year-old child. Right? Infinitely greater. So listen, this might set some of you free. Don't fall asleep on this part. Worry happens when we, as spiritual 3-year-olds think we know more than our father 
And so we worry that he won't get things right. Anger is what happens when we as spiritual three-year-olds don't think our father gives us what we need or what we think we deserve. That's when we get angry. But when you pray, oh listen, when you pray your will be done, you are laying down this burden of thinking that you know what's best for your life. You're laying it down. See, when you and I pray your will be done, we are saying this to God. God, I trust you. Lord, here are my plans. You know what often we do when we pray? God, here's what all I want to do. Would you bless my plans? But when you pray your will be done, Lord, here's my plans. Here's what I want to do. I want to buy this house. I want to marry this person. I want to take this job. I want to go to that school. I want to do this thing. But God, I recognize that my plans pale in comparison to your plans. And that your plans are far greater than my plans. So I'm not asking you, God, to bless my mess. But I'm acknowledging your will be done. And if somehow what I have planned is what you have planned, I'm good. But if for some reason, Lord, if what I have planned doesn't fit within your plans, then I'm okay with that. So you can say your will be done with resentment. Your will be done, but I don't like it. And you can even do it with resignation. Your will be done, because ain't nothing I can do to stop it. Or you can say it with rejoicing. Your will be done, because I know it's best, and I know that I want to be in your will, because where your presence is, is the fullness of joy. It's my joy to say, your will your way. Elizabeth Elliot, who was the widowed wife of Jim Elliot, who was killed by the Akua Indians in Ecuador, is a missionary, writes in her book, the, Through the Gates of Splendor. Here's what she writes about how she dealt with the injustice that she felt. She says, God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he acts in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It's the same spirit that taunted, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. There's unbelief. There's even rebellion. God is God. And if God is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. And I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. It's acknowledgement. Your will's best. But secondly, it's alignment. It's obedience. Trust, obey. Wax on, wax off. Trust, obey. See, it's not enough just to acknowledge it. If you just do the wax on, without the wax off, you got wax. <laughs> it's not enough to acknowledge. You have to align yourself to desire the will of God. When April and I first got married, we, a lot of our stuff was hand-me-down. Can I get a witness on that? 
A lot, of people, a lot of people my age and a little bit younger think that when you get married, everything should be brand new. Now, maybe some of y'all are used to that. Maybe your moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas did that, but we, was, we were poor. Matter of fact, we were poor. We couldn't, even, we couldn't even afford the ORs. We was poor. And so we had somebody give us a, a hand-me-down washing machine. See, back in the day, washing machines lasted longer than five years. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody want to testify? It's Saturday night. The feeling's right. Come on. And so we were given a 20-year-old washing machine. All right? They went from the board, and then they made this machine. All right? And so we would put our clothes in there. And every now and again, we'd be sitting watching TV and you'd hear pum 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 pum. And you thought something was going to explode. But what it was, I know some of y'all have no idea cuz you've never had this in your life. But what happened was the drum of the washing machine got out of alignment. And what happened was because the clothes were not put in the right way, it got on one side. And so it got off the drum and then boom, 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 boom. And so what you had to do, you open the lid. See, nowadays you can't even open the lid. <laughs> but, but those old ones, you could open the lid. You could get in there if you wanted to. Thing would be sucker, be spinning around. You get in there and you move the clothes around, you move the drum, and you get it in alignment. And when it's in alignment, it doesn't go boom, 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 boom. It works. Now listen, I know some of y'all, I just blew some of your minds. Back in the olden days, like the early 2000s, I mean, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. I, but here's the deal, Pickles, listen. When you pray your will be done, oh, this is good. This is good. When you pray your will be done, you're not only trusting God in the unknown, but you are obeying God in the known. The known is what God has revealed in his word. And so when you say, God, your will be done, you're saying, God, give me the strength to obey what I know already is your will on earth. See, when we pray your will be done, we are relinquishing a sense of personal autonomy. We are relinquishing a sense of personal control of our lives and of our situations, and we are aligning ourselves to God. We are no longer asking God to line up with our plan or our agenda, but we are aligning ourselves to him and to his. That God, we're gonna, we're gonna obey it even if we don't understand it. And God, I'm going to obey it even if I don't like it. See, the greatest struggle in your life is not trying to discern God's will. The greatest struggle in your life is going to be discerning God's will and then disowning your will. See, if you and I are honest, I, I want my will to be done in heaven as it's done on earth. I want God to do what I want God to do. I want to to have my things and how I want it done, but yet I am called to crucify my will and trust and obey his will, even if it means my own suffering in following his will. So, 
How in the world can we do that? How can we pray this? I mean, it's all great and gravy to say, well, this is God's will, and it's his creed will, and here's his desire will, and it's what it means to pray. But how in the Sam Hill can we actually pray this prayer? I'm going to tell you how, but it's going to go in a little bit extra preaching time. Is that okay? All right, Kentucky don't play till eight, so we're all right. If I go to eight, then it won't be great. What makes this phrase, your will be done, so unique is that we have an example of Jesus praying this in his own life. Luke 2, 22, 41. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cross was just in front of him. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. He's not asking God for him to be disobedient. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane is olive press. He is in the pressure. He's under pressure. The agony he's experiencing here. He says, Lord, if you're, if you're willing, remember, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. You know, I've been stressed out. I mean, long before 21 Pilots wrote that song, I've been stressed out. No one has been stressed out like Jesus. Because no one that I know in this room has ever sweat blood. Maybe you have. Sure, somebody, maybe, I'm pretty sure I did it once. Because <laughs> you cut yourself and then you sweat. Anyway. <laughs> no one has ever experienced what Jesus experienced. And here's the deal. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He knew that God's decreed will was the cross. It was the decreed will, not the desire will, the decreed will. He who knew no sin had to become sin. Jesus is not saying, I don't want to be obedient. I don't want to submit. He's saying, Father, if there's another way, all things being equal, I would rather not have to do it this way. But if you need me to do it, if you want me to do it, see, this is Jesus' humanity here. He's deity and humanity here. I will do it, but not my will, but your will be done because, Father, your will is what's best. And here's what you see. Even Jesus, the God-man, is honest with his Father. I want to, I want to put you in on something. It's okay to be honest with God. If you're going through a situation where you're at your wit's end and you cry out to God and you scream and maybe even you get upset with God, that's okay. But then you must say your will be done. And then you rest because you know that your father knows what's best for your life. Tim Keller says to pray, let your will be done. You're saying, God, I will obey you whether or not I like it. And I'm going to trust you whether or not I understand it. Well, how in the world can we ever trust and obey God like that? We only trust somebody completely if we know that that person loves us completely. 
And the only way that we'll ever acknowledge and align ourselves to the will of God is we have to know and experience the love of God. See, you're not going to trust yourself to a God that you've never seen unless you've experienced the God's, the God who loves you. And how do you experience God's love? Through the person of Jesus. No one's ever loved you like Jesus. There's not a mother, sister, friend, or brother that loves you like Jesus. Jesus, is, is, is not, Jesus not only said, your will be done, but Jesus modeled it. He completely obeyed God. He submitted to the will of God, and all of hell was poured on him so that you and I can be saved. Jesus took our fall. He took our guilt. He took our sin and our sorrow, and he made them his very own. He took our shame. And that's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. How was Jesus heard? Didn't Jesus die on the cross? Yes. But God heard his prayer and answered because God ultimately brought him out of death through resurrection. Oh, listen to me. What you learn in Jesus is this. Without submission, there's no resurrection. See, you can only say your will be done when you look at Jesus, when you see and think of Jesus. And then when you see Jesus and you see what Jesus did for you, then you can say, I will obey even if I don't agree. And I will trust even if I don't understand. But if you say your will be done without looking to Jesus, and seeing what Jesus did for you, then you're either going to A, resent God, or B, you're going to feel numb towards God. But when you see what he did, see, here's the thing. If Jesus can say to the Father, your will be done for me, then surely I should be able to pray, your will be done to he. See, Jesus prayed this prayer at the end of his life so that you and I can pray it all of our lives. Let me end with this. A couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I was on a flight flying from California to Orlando, Florida. There was a guy, a couple of seats ahead of me, this was in the airplane, who sat in the wrong seat. He sat in the aisle seat. Instead, what it come to find out was he was supposed to sit in the middle seat. He sat in the aisle seat, and the guy who was supposed to sit in the aisle seat saw the man was sitting in his seat, and the guy wasn't very happy. And the guy really wasn't moving that sat in the, this guy's aisle seat, and so the guy looked at him, and he, he looked at his ticket, and he, he looked at the man, and he said, look, a, B, C, D, E, F, U, what, what's, your, what's your seat? And B, well, I'm C. A, B, C. And the guy looked at him and he said, listen, man, I know I'm supposed to sit in the middle seat. But I can't do it. It's too hard. It's a four-hour flight. If I'm lying, I'm a dying. That's what we'd say in Kentucky. The guy looked at him. He said, you know, I paid for that seat to sit on the aisle. But you can sit there. I'll take your seat. Four-hour flight. 
I saw what took place in my aisle seat. And I said, there is no way I would ever do that. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, that's what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus paid for a seat that I get to sit in. He submitted himself so that I can be in his seat and he would sit in mine. And the only way I could ever sit where I sit is because of what Jesus did for me. Here's the question tonight, church. Where do you sit? Do you try to sit on the throne of your life controlling and worrying about everything or have you relinquished control to him? Have you traded seats? Lord Tennyson said, our wills are ours to make them yours. F.B. Myers said, I can't say I'm willing, Lord, but I'm willing to be made willing. He says, if you are not willing, God will take you where you are at. If you in a moment of complete honesty say to God, Lord, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing to obey you. Maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe you say, you know, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing, but I'm not really willing to do all this Jesus stuff, but, but I'm, I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing, God, to, to be made to be willing. And maybe that's where you need to be tonight. Some of you are fighting your father, trying to go your way rather than his way, when all you need to say your will be done on earth, in me, in my family, in this church. Let it be done there as it is in heaven. But you'll never pray that prayer until you have a relationship with Jesus to where you see and sense and savor all that he's done for you. And my prayer is that tonight, you may say in a moment of honesty, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing to obey and trust you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that people don't leave here thinking about washing machines or airplane seats. I pray that people leave here thinking that your will is the best thing for their life. And Father, when we see that your will is best, we will always pray your will be done. Father, forgive me where I have worried because I didn't trust that you were gonna do the right thing. And Father, forgive me where I've gotten angry because I felt like I didn't get what I think I deserved. But Father, I pray tonight that you would move in this room that maybe people would come down to this altar, get on their knees before you and say your will, your way. Maybe you're calling people to salvation tonight. 
I know you are. Father, I would pray that they would have the faith to trust and obey. But God, maybe you're calling some to, to ministry. Maybe there's some tonight have been fighting that call to ministry because they had their own plans. But God, tonight, would they just say, I'm here I am, Lord, send me. God, would you call out the, those who want to serve you in full-time ministry? Or maybe you want to call someone who wants to serve you in full-time missions, who wants to give their life to make your name known among the nations. Father, would you call out the call tonight? Father, would there be someone in this room who's got a decision? And God, tonight, would they lay down their wills and say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Maybe there are those who are living in sin right now. They're not living. They know your will says not to do it, but they're doing it anyway. God, tonight, would they have the honesty to say, forgive me and let your will be done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And listen, the, you can come down and pray. If you want to come down and pray, come on down. Let's stand. And if God's moving, run down here. Get on your knees and ask him to help you. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.